2.3, Focus on Social Institutions. A third strand of literature highlights the importance of social institutions and increasingly recognizes variations across them. Scholars taking this approach have uncovered a number of important findings that I build on in the pages that follow. Yet, a review of this literature finds that these scholars, too, generally privilege the state and fail to consider competing non-state arenas of authority. Moreover, they lack an overarching schema that allows them to be fully in conversation with each other and to make sense of the increasingly vast literature. Scholars taking this approach are primarily interested in how such institutions reinforce, complement, or replace formal state institutions, and they pay little attention to the competition across different arenas of authority outside the state. Helmke and Levitsky define informal institutions as socially shared rules, usually unwritten, that are created, communicated, and enforced outside of officially sanctioned channels. That is, they portray social institutions in residual terms as non-state. Even Eleanor Ostrom, undoubtedly the most influential scholar to highlight institutions outside the state, takes this approach. In Governing the Commons, she argued that communities can devise rules to solve collective action problems and manage community resources in the absence of the state. She highlights the variation in non-state institutions, drawing attention to the importance of community boundaries, participatory decision-making rules, enforcement, and dispute resolution mechanisms for community governance where the state is absent. Yet, even in the world she describes, where local communities have agency, the community is a single arena of authority. Furthermore, the state is still central. Local solutions are particularly effective when the state recognizes them as legitimate. Viewing the state as the ultimate authority juxtaposed against a single local community ultimately excludes questions about competing arenas of authority outside the state. Similar tendencies are found in the writings of development specialists. Many recognize the importance of non-state actors and social institutions, but they still privilege the state and under-theorize competing arenas of authority and social institutions. The Overseas Development Institute's Africa Power and Politics Program promoted the notion of going with the grain, arguing that traditional authorities and local customs such as witchcraft or polygamy shape political outcomes and thus must be taken into account in development efforts. Brian Levy, then at the World Bank, argued that we could better determine which levers could help establish islands of effectiveness and eventually economic growth and better governance outcomes if we take into account whether polities are dominant or competitive and governance impartial or personalized. More recently, Matt Andrews, Lant Pritchett, and Michael Woolcock pushed even more strongly for an incremental approach to development that would consider contextual factors. Yet, even advocates of context-sensitive programming present typologies based on distinctions across state institutions. The mechanisms for centralizing rents and policy orientation for ODIs, APPP, and competitiveness of politics and impartiality for levy. They question the dominance of the Weberian arrangements, but nevertheless view social institutions and actors as inferior at best and disruptive at worst. They explain differences between outcomes that should be, according to state organizational rules, and those that are in terms of organizational capacity of state institutions. In doing so, they are unable to give guidance on how to determine which arenas of authority have weight 
and the impact that variations in their social institutions may have. These gaps are evident when scholars and practitioners partner with each other, attempting to understand why interventions are more effective in some communities than others. Micro-level approaches that focus on institutions lend themselves to increasingly sophisticated, systematic studies of their effects, particularly through randomized control trials, or RCTs. Despite enormous investments of time, money, and intellect, however, the main takeaway of efforts to date has been that development programs often travel poorly across time and space. Efforts to understand why have yielded a vibrant, cross-disciplinary literature examining various aspects of social institutions. Some point to networks and social ties, considering how the strength of social ties in communities affect political participation, accountability, and service provision. Others examine the institutional rules that shape interactions between groups, altruism and reciprocity, group boundaries, lineage practices, or rules with regard to specific outcomes such as conflict mediation. Still others focus on how different types of authorities influence voting, representation, or service provision. These studies provide important insights into arenas of authority and social institutions, but they are not unified by a common theoretical framework and language. This makes it remarkably difficult to compare findings across studies or draw together lessons offered by various scholars. Studies of networks and social density, for instance, tend to assume rather than interrogate the form of institutional rules that shape behavior. Individuals from families, ethnic groups, or villages are uniformly expected to reciprocate with in-group members or to view each other as sharing preferences and thus be more likely to coordinate. Those focused on differences in rules, such as reciprocity, inheritance, overlook differences in the strength of institutions. Moreover, these studies generally focus on one set of institutions, practices, or outcomes, failing to take into account how individuals may be subject to more than one arena of authority. They call for guidance on which arenas gain primacy and how social institutions within them interact to shape outcomes.